you know, it's been really interesting. If mm. we look at some of the races uh, recently in in Brazil, mm -hmm. uh, Toto and Lewis yeah. were standing at the front of the garage looking okay. at our cars. <laughs> uh, we've had other teams yeah. that have come down the pit lane yeah. looking at yeah. our cars. So they obviously yeah. see that we've got something right. Yeah. yeah. But it's just very interesting. It puts a smile on your face when you yeah, see these people that, you know, for a few few years have ignored us and mm. now all of a sudden realize that we are a serious contender. Hey everybody, welcome back to Track Limits. This episode is brought to you by our very, very special friends at DP World. We're here in Abu Dhabi. Let's go. A couple hours before the first practice sessions that are kicking off and we're joined by a great guest. Someone who spent countless number of years in Formula One, different positions, very much at McLaren. Welcome the Director of Trackside Operations, Woo. Mark Norris. Welcome. Good morning. Thank uh, you. How Thank are you, you doing? Oh, I'm very good. Thank you. Yeah. How are you? Good. Are you ready for the yeah, last race? Yeah, feeling refreshed. <laughs> yeah. Ready to go. Like I say, free practice one in a few hours' time. Yeah. And let's see how we set ourselves up for this weekend. Yeah. Exactly. You must be pretty tired now getting to the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody's a little bit, but not yeah. too bad. You know, we've got yeah. one more to go. We've got, still got to have the focus yeah. on uh, doing what we need to do for this weekend. I think the team, um, we had a, a team event last night yeah. and uh, it was good to get everyone together and uh, re-emphasize that focus yeah, that we need to have for this weekend. Um, we're still in a battle in the Constructors' Championship yes. with Aston Martin. Right. We're uh, 11 points ahead of them. Yeah. So that means a lot to the team mm -hmm. uh, to secure that fourth place in the Constructors. Uh, obviously, that has a monetary value to the teams as well in the Constructors' Championship. And pride. Yeah. And, yeah. and pride, <laughs> of course. So you know, our focus is to make sure that we do the best job we can yeah. and to come out um, where we want to be in the Constructors at the end of the season. Yeah, Brilliant. and it's, it's actually so impressive, the trajectory you guys had this season. Yeah, yeah the team did. have done a, a fantastic job. If you yeah. look at the development rate that we as a team have done throughout the course of this year from yeah. where we started, well, Bahrain test feels oh. like it was yesterday, really, <laughs> yeah. but you know, all that time ago. and. You know, the first half of the year we know was was a tough challenge for the team. Right. Um, but we saw changes from the Austrian Grand Prix yep. into Silverstone. We managed to bring some of those upgrades in earlier than anticipated, mm -hmm. and we've just seen how great the team has done. And that's that's a, that's a collective effort. That's everybody back at the factory in the DO, um, for everybody that's for trackside based um the focus that the mechanics give the focus the drivers give the focus the designers give same yeah. back at base as well you know it's not just an individual that makes a difference it is a team yeah. and that's the most important thing and, and when you work as a team and i think it's shown that mclaren has really got a great team working collectively yeah. to get where we are and i think you look at the stats of the development yeah. against any other team and mclaren are head and shoulders over 100%. that development and this it's year. given a lot of hope too yeah for next I mean, so yeah. many teams now yeah. are looking at you guys as an example of hey we started there and we can be at the end of the season yeah. here yeah. fighting for podium you know it's been really interesting if mm. we look at some of the races uh recently in in brazil mm -hmm. uh toto and lewis yeah. were standing at the front of the garage yeah. looking okay. at our cars. <laughs> uh, we've had other teams yeah. that have come down the pit lane yeah. looking at yeah. our cars. So they obviously yeah. see that we've got something right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just very interesting. It puts a smile on your face when you yeah, see these people that, you know, for a few few years have ignored us and mm -hmm. now all of a sudden realize that we are a serious contender. Yeah. And I think that just that's gives us a good step for, for for next season and right. we're just going to make sure that we carry that momentum yeah. uh, into next year and and you know by the time we leave here and we've done the the young driver test mm. after the race 
what are we, eight, nine weeks from being at the test in Bahrain, 17th yep. yeah. of, of yep. Feb or whatever we're going to be That's there, amazing. and then we're straight in. Off-season. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not really an off-season <laughs> anymore. They, they, you know, we used to. When, yeah. when, you know, if I go back a few years, yeah. Yeah. we had 16 races. Yeah. You know, you'd finish mid-October, yeah. and you'd start again <laughs> mid-March, yeah. and, you know, everybody would have had three or four, three and three and a half yeah. months off. Yeah. They say now we're eight weeks and we're straight back into it again. Mm -hmm. And there isn't really an off season because that design and development of that car is going to continue. As soon as, as soon as we get back, we're going to be focused on that car. As soon as we cross that finish line on Sunday, that car's obsolete, but it's it's finished with, then we've got to move on to next year's. Um, So I think they'll let the factory have Christmas day, New Year's day (laughs) off and that's it. And everybody's focused on getting the cars and the equipment that we're going to need to Bahrain for the Bahrain test. And are you a fan of new races being added to the track? 100%. I think what it is great uh, is coming to different markets, is bringing the sport to those different fan bases. And if I look at races that we've had that we don't have anymore, India's a a prime one. The fan base for Formula One in in India is huge. Apart from, other than IPL, um, Formula One's the next thing. And uh, it's a shame we don't don't race there. I know there's other countries that are talking about races yeah. coming back. Yeah. You know, Korea, Korea yeah. Malaysia, Colombia. Mm-hmm. Oh. They're talking about a couple of new races possibly in Europe as well. Yeah. So I think it's it's great that, that the sport is in such a good shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and then things like Drive to Survive mm-hmm. has, has really helped in that. And that's brought, for me, that's brought a different demographic to Formula One than it had maybe five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. And... And I think that's good for us as teams. It's good for us as a sport. And when you look at the demographic that's changed, the audience is much younger than it was. Right. And that was a real focus for Formula One and for Liberty when mm-hmm. they took over is how do they bring that, that age group down? Right. But also the female market, how you attract that. And when you look at you look at races like in the US, and if you take the US and you've got three races there now, if we take North America and Montreal, you've got four races yeah. out there. Formula One's always struggled uh, in the US. You know, mm. we did Indianapolis back in the early, late yeah. 90s, early 2000s, and we struggled uh, there. Even if, it, even though Indianapolis was the home oh, of US yeah, motorsport, yeah. Formula One <laughs> didn't call, yeah. quite get it there. And then I think with Cota coming on board and bringing in a purpose-built circuit, yeah. the first year we went there, the crowds were incredible, and the crowds are still incredible there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously with Miami, and obviously Vegas that we have just had, uh, I think... You know that is really helping and that is a huge market to make sure that we really tap into yeah. yep. and keep that momentum in that market but i'm go back i'm a massive fan and i hope we do see more races the challenge for the teams yeah. is how many races does that become what's yeah. the cap yeah. what's the cap you know we can think we can go to 24 mm. at the moment we're going to be on that limit pretty much for for next year yeah. mm-hmm. i know formula one want the desire yeah. to have more but um then do you go into rotational races? Yeah. Do you, yeah? Do you rotate some of the Europeans? Yep. Do you rotate some of the the flyaway races, mm-hmm. or do you say right, we're going to keep a, cer- a certain number of races, which we know is going to have a huge attraction yeah. to fan bases physically at track, but also from a from a TV perspective, and then rotate the others. Yeah. But that brings other challenges oh, yeah. to us too. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yep. So looking at you, Mark, I mean, when we were doing our research, yeah. I think you happen to be one of the most interesting people 
in Formula One. 100%. And I'm curious from your vantage point. I don't point, know if I'm that interested. I think you are, though. I think you are. I mean, like, the number of different roles that you've had in Formula One, can you speak to some of that in terms of your past experience, how you got into the sport, mm. and some of the roles you've had before? I, I look, how, how did I get into sport? I got into sport by accident. Mm. Um, I always say I was in the right place at the wrong time or the wrong place <laughs> at the right time. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I'd had a not a career in, in in automotive industry. I worked in the automotive industry uh, for a few years, but I competed myself in rally championships. I always had a, an interest in cars and sort of competing in motorsport and also building the cars, which I did as well. So I always had a fascination with that. And uh, this opportunity came to join uh, the commercial team yeah. at McLaren back in 1996. Mm -hmm. In actual fact, I had my first ever interview with, with McLaren back in 1990. Oh, wow. um, and sort of six years later, I finally joined the team. Um, but like you say, I've pretty much held most of the roles that you can think <laughs> yeah, of yeah. in there. I, so I can always say I'm sort of a jack of all trades, master of none. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, when I very first started in the commercial side, I was looking after a lot of the official suppliers. At that time, we had Goodyear mm -hmm. as the time manufacturers looked after those. A lot of people that our machine companies, a lot of people that would, gave us product in kind that didn't necessarily uh, give us financial investment. Then moved on to being responsible for Mercedes-Benz and mm. Mobile One brand mm. globally um, for nearly 11 years. And then I was asked to take on our title sponsorship when we had Vodafone mm -hmm. that came in in 2007. Worked for a year behind the scenes in 06 um, to help be part of creating that brand and creating our identity and what we were going to be all about. It wasn't just me, there was a, yeah. a team of people that were involved in that. But that was fascinating to be creating something from ground up. Obviously, Vodafone had had Ferrari as a, as a principal sponsor, but not as a title sponsor is what they want. Mm -hmm. And and when I look back at that, that was probably some of the most exciting years of, of my life at McLaren, where we did stuff that no one else has tried to repeat. We, I was only talking about it with some people, some ex-Vodafone people actually, mm -hmm. uh, that were happened to be in, in Las Vegas. And when I look back at what people are doing for social media now, content creating, we were doing that back in 07, 08, making viral videos with the drivers, going out on YouTube mm -hmm. before it was even done. And, and people still remember all of this stuff that we had done. And I think it was a great time, uh, but the, it's, it's, a, it's a great team still. And we're doing stuff again now that we've got different partners involved and we're doing, again, groundbreaking stuff. So it's been a fantastic journey um, to where I am now, which is uh, director of Trackside Ops. and. Uh, I was sort of doing that while I was sort of director of, of partnerships and head of partnerships before that, and sort of was doing two roles, but we could just see that the roles for, for partnerships and operations was getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it couldn't just be done by one person. So mm. about five years ago, we separated that role, and there we are, we are where we are today. Yeah, and, and explain what your role is. Yeah. I think it's a shame that Drive to Survive doesn't talk yeah. about these yeah. roles because they're so key. But what 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 are yeah, your key it's, roles? It's all sorts. Yeah. Uh, it's very difficult to describe uh, about what I do. Yeah. Is you know, ultimately I'm responsible for all of the commercial aspects of the business. The way we 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 split it is 
you've got the race team yeah. and we have a team coordination uh, services department within the racing and they're focused on delivering the performance to the race team mm. from a commercial perspective we sort of keep that separately so we're not uh, mixing the two so we're wanting to keep racing very focused on racing mm. and from the commercial side is delivering what we need to deliver for our, our partners yeah. uh, and what we need to deliver for us on track from a commercial perspective and that's really where i step in right. uh, and cover all of that so that's everything from our catering organization and their freight and moving that around for then um commercial sea freight and air freight yeah. that we have to each of the races uh, to all the drivers management uh, all their scheduling not only at racetrack but also away from track as well throughout the whole year uh, all the branding on the car making sure that that is correct when we get here on track that we're delivering what we need to deliver contractually to our partners mm -hmm. uh, and working with the brand team that's based back in in the uk on that before coming to track but right. then making sure that we've delivered what we need to deliver on track the garage uh, the hospitality the front of house hospitalities our team hub uh, both here at flyways but also our motorhome that mm -hmm. you see in the european paddock that's all under my responsibility as well how i get the commercial team mm -hmm. to and from a race all the accreditation wow. make sure they're all in the right hotels we've got enough rooms we'll make sure everything. so it's it's really quite far-reaching quite yeah. broad and then it's troubleshooting on the ground if we've got an issue we come across then that's my role to to fix it right and to sort it yeah. and uh, find those solutions mm -hmm. and which is one of the things i really love i, I love being in the field yep. uh, and i love having those challenges where we've got an issue how do we sort it? So there's, for me, there's never an issue. There's always a solution. Yeah. <laughs> well, take us through a moment. Like yeah. An incident, a big challenge that you had to face. Actually, we had one it. for the Brazilian Grand Prix, uh -huh. uh, particularly from a, a sea freight perspective, from a, from a catering point mm. of view, that we had, uh, we couldn't get, um, we, or we didn't have an, enough kit to get our catering uh, out, our catering uh, department to Brazil. Mm. So I had about eight weeks to create a whole new kit, be a bit longer than that. And this is where our partnership with DP World, mm -hmm. I couldn't have done it without them because I had to get this kit on a boat to Brazil. Mm -hmm. Now, if I hadn't have done that, we wouldn't have had any catering equipment for the team, wow. um, which is a big issue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is an issue I can't always solve on site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to resolve that to get yeah. that out uh, to Brazil. And uh, we did that and we got it literally down to the wire to ship it out to get it to brazil and it was there and ultimately yeah. that means we could f could feed the team and yeah. the team is in in good stand for that race so mm. that's that's one sort that's, of challenge and you know i think the challenges we've got we'll be talking about more races coming in mm -hmm. is that logistical challenge of of how we move freight around and that is it's become very expensive right um but there's more and more equipment that's required mm. to the races and as you put more races on you often have to increase the amount of equipment that you need to send around the world mm. and i think you know what we've had with our partnership with dp world and it's only a relatively new partnership mm -hmm. now, since 2022 uh, we've had a lot of sessions with them about how can they help us be more efficient how can they help us move this equipment around the world and i'm talking if we talk about sea freight um, we're moving uh, around 35 tons wow. of freight wow. by boat mm -hmm. 
to these races and we have multiple sets so at the moment mm. we have six sets of of everything <laughs> uh, particularly from a from a racing perspective yeah. when you look at the, the garage infrastructure yep. engineers island the pit walls etc and all of the sort of infrastructure that's back of house which you don't see mm. um so we've got those multiple sets but as the race is potentially increased do we have to increase those sets of equipment mm. um then we're flying yep equipment still to the races and we only really fly three things um because the cost of air freight is so expensive uh, and if i tell you what do we fly we fly the car mm -hmm. and the equip the essential equipment to run the car yep uh, we fly our it system because mm -hmm. without that we can't communicate back to the technology center in Woking. Yep. We can't communicate to the cars. The cars can't communicate to the garage. Oh, we can't geez. communicate to the FIA. Mm -hmm. So that's a vital piece of equipment. Yeah. So we fly that and we fly our personnel. And that's all we fly. But if we look at air freight, we're still flying something in the region of 21 tons, 21 tons of air wow. freight. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, as we move into a bigger sustainability objective, um we have to look at that and with dp world that is they know that's key on our agenda mm -hmm. and they're helping us with that about how we can be more sustainable you know yep. instead of taking items back to the uk and ship them back and then ship them back out again we're working with dp world on s storage solutions around the world that actually that freight doesn't come back if we need to service it we'll service it in the field, mm -hmm. whether we're holding that at a DP World Storage facility in Fort Lauderdale for the American market, mm -hmm. in Dubai for the Middle Eastern market, in Singapore for the Asian market, including Australia. Yeah. So they're helping us with that. And that is a real focus of uh, our, our partnership for the, for the next few years to make that better than, you know, we're just scratching the, scratching the surface, the surface yeah, now, yeah, yeah. but we can see the benefits that, that they can offer us yep. and how we can be more cost effective and more uh, sustainable. And that's sort of where we're gonna move to in the future with, with DP World. You know how Harvard Business Review has like case challenges? Yeah, it just is... seems like Formula One is one big- Oh, it's massive. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, some people say Formula One is a circus, but yeah. it is, you know, yeah. you're moving thousands of people around. Mm. That's just the teams. Yep. You're moving hundreds of tons of freight around, mm -hmm. whether that be in Europe by road mm -hmm. and by all the trucks that you see come mm -hmm. uh, and all the motorhomes, etc., or you're moving stuff by air. Yep. But it's constant. It never stops because if you're moving it in Europe, you've got to get that equipment off the trucks that were in Europe to get it into your freight to go to the flyaways. Right. You're moving all those sets around the world and that's constantly from one country to the next to the next. Does that come back to the UK? Possibly at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Some of those kits that we've got coming that we're using now don't come back to the UK, as yeah. we were saying. They'll they'll stay in markets. Some will come back, but we've got to service all of this equipment. Do we need to clean it? Do we need to repaint it? Do we need, need to apply new graphics to it with change of partners throughout mm -hmm. the course of the year? Do we have a coloration change? Uh, do we need to yep. replace broken mm -hmm. items? All of that we're doing in very, very short turnarounds. And in some instances, we have a matter of a week or 10 days to turn this stuff around before it's got to go back out yeah. to get to the, the destinations for next year. We're going to start shipping yep. for next year. We're going to start shipping sea freight in December. As soon as we get back from Abu Dhabi, yeah. we've got about a three week turnaround to move stuff for uh, Bahrain race, mm -hmm. test, Saudi, Australia, China, Japan. Wow. And how does it, how does a cost cap yeah. work with all this happening? And that's, that is where, 
there's two different sides of it. So yeah. you've got the racing side of things where you are very restricted on the cost cap. And that's, again, why we're looking at do we ship all of this stuff back and forward by keeping it in a location we are reducing our overheads. So it's helping in the cost cap. When you come from a commercial perspective, we're not included in that cost cap. Mm, but it. again, everybody's got budgets to, yeah. you, know, <laughs> to yeah. you know, I'm tasked with, uh, you know, my financial budgets per season of how uh, race, race operations operate and mm. how I've got to keep within those budgets or where I can make savings. Um, so yeah, you, you're looking at it at two different aspects from racing yep. and commercial, but those challenges are, are there constant. And that's why we're constantly evaluating, constantly reviewing mm. and constantly talking to our partners mm. where they can help us and give right. us the advantage. Yeah. And I saw online too, that you were part of the promotion working group and, and helping kind of all F1 teams align with Liberty Media's vision for, for the sport. Can you tell us a bit more about your work there? Yeah, yeah it, and it's something that sort of COVID as it did in a lot of areas stopped right. a lot of things but um mclaren was the team that sort of created the promotional working group uh and it was great to be involved right at the very start and we had uh regular meetings throughout the course of the season with all the teams and mm. that was a mixture of our our friends in our comms division mm. as well as the commercial division and every team was represented with at least two people we also had the fia involved we had formula one involved and it's just the whole process is how can we make the sport better for us mm. and for formula one and ultimately if we can make it better for us we can make it better for formula one we're going to make it better for the fans and the people that, that come and watch and that is from anything from events to how we can engage with fans so we did a big event as an example in australia back in 20 probably 2019 2018 2019 in federation square and we got all the drivers on a boat and we got them all into fed nice. square yeah. we did a big introduction all the team principals mm -hmm. were there mm -hmm. and that was to really engage the fans uh, which is crucial to the teams um and that was that was actually a a an idea that came from within us um but pre and presented it to f1 and f1 wanted to do that and that was how it, it sort of evolved and that was what the promotional group was all about we're just about now we've got sort of all the restrictions out of the way and we're back to really back to normal um very much engaged again with formula one and we're looking for in 24 to bring back this promotional working group where all the teams are engaged so we're all on the same page we're yeah. all working to the same goal. end goal yeah. really mm -hmm. and if we can do it collectively to make this better for everyone why shouldn't we do it you know i understand that all the teams have got their own objectives but most of those objectives at some point come together mm. and that's that's really our focus is how can we just make this better all around brilliant final question to kind of end this section i'm specifically curious you've talked about how you know previously your role had to be split up right from partnerships to trackside ops it's way too much for one person to handle how do you see your role evolving over, let's say, the next five years even? Do you think that role becomes even more broad? Uh, for, for me, yes, because I think commercially, our operating procedures are going to become more and more important. Hmm. Um, and I think that will be the same within racing as well. If races increase, that's going to put a different dimension on it. We have got more people coming to races yeah. from a team perspective as an employees but also from a guest perspective from our partners and their guests. Mm -hmm. So the demand on what we deliver at track is increasing. Uh, the, uh, the way the partners activate around the races in the region is increasing. Yep. 
and I can only see that getting more and more and more. Um, so yeah, this this role and what we do on on site um, and our planning, because you know when we come to Abu Dhabi, as we are here this weekend, what we're doing this weekend, we just didn't just agree a week ago or two weeks yeah. ago. This is months, mm -hmm. you know, in the planning. Mm -hmm. Something like Vegas, with a brand new race, that was two years. So I was in Vegas two years ago mm. with. Uh, LVGP mm -hmm. and that is a process of us working to getting to that point and you know when we come here we're already working on races even as far as Monaco oh, already wow. uh, of what we're doing what the partners want to do what we need to activate how we're going to activate it so then all the equipment that we're going to need there is there are we going to be doing livery changes mm -hmm. so how does that impact uh, how we get the cars prepared etc and that's where I work closely with with racing yep. is that we've got obligations to deliver to our commercial partners right um but how do we how do we work very closely with racing to make sure it's seamless mm. uh, and that's part of my sort of role as well so i can only see that getting busier because yeah. uh, and that goes back to that very first question we had how is the health of the sport the sport is in great health and it's just on a great trajectory mm -hmm. and we want that to continue because this is a fantastic sport. It's a sport that I've been involved in for 27 years. Um, I love it. I'm very passionate about what we do mm -hmm. as McLaren. I'm very passionate about who I work for, very passionate about what I do. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that comes across yep. uh, when, I, when I speak to people and, and guests and, and like we're doing today. And you know, McLaren is a is an amazing team we have an amazing bunch of people that work there and i just want to see us go from strength to strength and be back where we belong hey. and that's on the top step yeah. Let's go. that's winning championships i've been fortunate and very privileged to witness three world championships mm -hmm. with yeah. the team and the 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 feeling of winning a champion you can't describe it mm. you know you've got to be there to, to to experience it and absorb it and and be part of it and i hope that we've got a team of people that will experience that soon and uh yeah i just want to see mclaren back at the top really go any purple green that was a purple sector all right we're gonna so much. rank that section of purple yep. and we'll see if mark can get pole wow that's a tough no pressure that's a tough, yeah that's a tough <laughs> rapid fire round coming up very shortly Hey everyone, welcome back to the Track Limits Podcast. We're here with Mark Norris. Mark, you've gotten a purple first sector. Are you ready to see if you can get another this one? This is it. I'll try. <laughs> All right, last sector. Rapid fire, full of rapid ideally, and uh, fire answers. First question, imagine you're a driver. Who would you love to drive with, living or dead? Senna. Okay. Ah, great. Okay. This is, this is going to be a funny question, but what's the most funniest thing or embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you at a race weekend? I think it's the most embarrassing thing. Yeah. Difficult. I'm trying to <laughs> um, I got, um, this isn't, it hasn't happened once. Okay. It's happened a few times, but a lot of people ask me if I'm Lando's dad. Oh my God. And are you? No, <laughs> no but, my, but my answer to that is I'm not, but he has the privilege of having my surname hey. because I was before him. Yes. If we ever interview Lando, we should be like, are you Mark Norris? <laughs> if you could add a race to the F1 calendar, where would you pick? I'd go back to India, okay. uh, South Africa. Cool. Okay. The greatest driver, F1 driver of all time, in your opinion? I think it's going to be Lewis. Mm -hmm. 
uh, known Lewis since he was about eight years old yeah. when he joined the McLaren Academy yeah. and followed him through his career um, through all his Formula 3, Formula European Formula wow. 3, F2 and and then when he got the drive in Monza with yeah. us and, and to win the seven titles. What a, Hard to beat. What a guy. Yeah. Yeah. If you could have only one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Curry. Okay. Love that. <sighs> you just had one. Yeah. Man, last <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Guilty pleasure TV show that you watch. Guilty pleasure. Drive to survive. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. <laughs> I always James Bond films. Okay, cool. Love James Bond films. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Time travel. Ooh. Because I'd go back and and do things differently. Mm -hmm. And also, if I knew what I knew now, then yeah. I'd probably change the way I did things. Ah, okay. What's one item you can't leave your house without for your job? Mobile phone mm. and my wallet. Yeah. <laughs> Two things. <laughs> Which celebrity would be a good fit for F1 as a driver? And don't say Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All the, all the celebrities I know that have tried driving cars have cracked cars. <laughs> um, I can't think of one that would be a good driver. Mm. Um, Got to say, you know, Brad Pitt's done very well with all his training. Yeah. And Lewis has been involved in some yeah. of that oh, training right. with Brad Pitt. Um, one celebrity who's going to be a driver. Like Tom Cruise. He would be good, but yeah. I think he's proved that. Um, I'd like to see one of my favorite films as well is Ford versus Ferrari. Oh, yeah. And I'd, I'd like to see Matt Damon or uh, Christian Bale. Christian Bale. Okay. In a car. Yeah. What's, um, what's something that most people don't know about you? Uh, this is not quick fire, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's all fine. Uh, I'm trying to think what yeah. people don't know about me. Uh, a lot of people don't know I used to rally. I suppose. Oh, okay. um, I really enjoyed that. I'd love to do it again. Yeah. But uh, I really can't. I don't really know one. That, that's good. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Sorry Rally. about. I, I mean, love it. No. we didn't even find that in our no. research. So yeah. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, can't think of something that. You're not Lando's dad. There we yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I used to have highlights and long hair at one point. But... Hey. <laughs> We're going to find a We're photo. We're going to get that photo yeah, right yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which race has the best atmosphere, in mm. your opinion? Best atmosphere. I think things like Monza, yeah. historic, the Tifosi. Mm -hmm. you know, they're so passionate uh, about the racing there mm -hmm. a lot of people ask me actually do i have a favorite race and the answer is no i don't i like races for lots of different, different reasons, reasons yeah. rather than that is my favorite uh you know, budapest i love budapest i think budapest is such a beautiful city yeah. yep. um but again the atmosphere there is very good it's like in a little bowl mm -hmm. everybody looks down into the circuit normally yep. racing is pretty good yep. there you know Montreal because it's right in the heart of the city the city gets behind it yep. everybody knows F1's in town Melbourne's mm -hmm. the same here is great because it's the end of the season yeah. everyone's a bit demob happy yeah. um, you know and the atmosphere here is is fantastic as well so yep. yeah, but I think the one if you really want passion yep gotta be Monza. Monza okay if you had to choose a different sport to work professionally in what would it be rally ah. 
what piece of racing memorabilia would you like to own or do you currently own that mm. you're super proud of? Uh, I have a race helmet okay. from David Coulthard oh, wow. when he drove for us yeah. and he gave me it for my 30th birthday. And he wrote a very nice message oh. on the back of the helmet to say congratulations on my 30th birthday, but also have thanks for being such a great friend. And I'm still very, very friendly with him today. Wow. That's amazing. All right. Last question. You're stranded on an island. Yeah. <laughs> what three drivers or principals would you have with you? Uh, DC. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, just from a, a fun point of yeah. view. Um, Gunter Steiner. <laughs> I think he's a, he's a quite a character. I think 100%. he would be great to, uh, to get to know. Yeah. And driver. Um, Jensen. Hey. Uh, funny enough. Uh, really liked it. Yeah, yeah. I had a very good relationship with Jensen. Okay. Um, and him and DC together, I think, would be, be a blast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and with Gunter, I think that would be, I think, think you'd be on, you'd be in hysterics yeah, the yeah. whole time. We, we asked Gunther on, uh, when he was on our podcast and we asked him the same question. And he's like, I would have none of the team principles. He's like, none of them. <laughs> he's like, I'd rather be alone. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Purple? Yeah. Purple. Uh, Pole position stuff. there. Boom. Very kin to Lewis. Uh, yes. How do you want to be remembered, Mark? This is the question we ask every guest at the end. Your legacy, you've done such an incredible job the last 25, 26, 27 years in the sport. How do you want to be remembered? Um, how would I want to be remembered? I think I just want to be remembered as someone that was there for, for everyone else, who's quite humble mm -hmm. um, and just wants to make people to be happy and successful. Yeah. I'm pretty low maintenance. I'm pretty low key. Mm -hmm. um, I say I just enjoy what I do. And by making sure I do what I do right, makes things good for everyone else. Well said. Thank you again Mike for dropped. coming on. Thank you, DP World, for having us do this episode. Incredible. Amazing, Thank you again for coming on. If you like this episode, like, share, subscribe. Check out our next one coming up. Thanks.